Hello, I'm Pastor Keith Babb III, and I want to thank you so much for tuning into the podcast of the Way Church of Tampa Bay. Our desire is that as a result of the word, that you no longer settle with simply coming to church, but you become the church. I pray that you enjoy this broadcast and that it challenges you, that it convicts you, and that it changes you. Thank you again, and let's enter into today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. I know I'm off the screen, but if I could have our panelists, if you don't mind taking your seats up on the stage. Um, I know everybody who's watching via online can hear my voice. And here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 6. There was something that took place um, at the beginning of the church, and the Bible declares that they said that we should bring some men that were full of the spirit, of good reputation, of full of wisdom, I believe this morning um, that we've gathered some men that are of good reputation, that are full of the spirit and that are full of wisdom. I'm so grateful for these men who sacrificed their time this morning to come and share and pour into us. I believe it's critical in this season um, when, when there's issues in the land that you, that you should call godly men together to give direction on how we should proceed. Many of you have, who's been watching us over the course of the last several weeks, um, I've been on a series called Will You Be My Neighbor? I've talked about racism and racial injustice from a hurt issue. I've talked about racism and racial injustice from a historical standpoint. I've talked about racism and racial injustice from a heart issue. And this morning, I want to talk about racism and racial injustice from a holistic point of, point of view. I believe the only way that we can heal um, the issues that's going on in the land is if we do it from a holistic point of view. So I want to I have some men who um, collectively can kind of share who they are. I don't want to do them any injustice by trying to get their bios. But this morning, um, I have a good friend of mine, Jeffrey Ford who is the executive director of Man Up and Go as a ministry um, that empowers men to be the men of God that they are, they've been called to be. And uh, they help with a number of issues in terms of keeping kids out of the child welfare system. Uh, he has a great ministry, and I'll let him share more about himself. I also have Pastor Rodney Norton. Um, God has been orchestrating throughout uh, my short time as a pastor to get us connected one thing that I love about him, he's a worshiper. Um, and anybody who knows a worshiper, um, God speaks to a worshiper. So I'm so grateful to have him in the house. He's also a man of great wisdom. I, I saw something that he posted and he said that God has gifted him um, to give simple truths to spiritual um, depths. And I think uh, he's gonna do that on this morning. I also have uh, Pastor Chuck. Uh, Amons, uh, did I get that right, Pastor? <laughs> he'll, he'll get me together, but uh, I posted something on a, a blog post and uh, God kind of orchestrated us to be connected and I just felt in my spirit that he needed to be here this morning. Um, he has a wonderful ministry in Brandon, Florida, so he'll share a little bit more about himself. And then the last person that I have is Pastor for, uh, Christopher Harris. Um, a wise, wise man of God. I met him uh, at a meeting of uh, collective meeting of pastors. And as soon as he opened his mouth, I said, I need to be connected to this man. 
uh, because of the wisdom that is within him. So I believe he's going to give us some great insight on this morning. So I'm going to actually start with Jeff, and this is going to go to all of our panelists. Mm, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, give us a little bit of your ministry background, upbringing, and then here's the critical question that I want you to answer for me. Um, do you believe, what is your perspective on the current climate of racism and racial injustice, but the critical piece of that in the body of Christ? We're aware that it's a, a apparent in our nation, in our world, but in the body of Christ, do you think it exists? And if so, how prevalent? And I'm, I'm posing that question to our entire panelists. Um, so Jeff, you can take it off from there. Well, first of all, Pastor Keith, thank you so much for having me and uh, being able to be up here with you all men. Uh, I really appreciate and I count it an honor and a privilege. Um, briefly about me, I grew up in a primary, I was born in Chicago, but kind of bounced around the Midwest. So I, I grew up in a primarily white uh, neighborhood, I would say probably 95%. Uh, but I played sports. So when you play sports, uh, you're mixing with the best, right? So it's, it's so I, we went to tournaments and so I, I, I had, you know, black friends that I, that I competed against. Um, and I moved to Texas, and there is where, I mean, my best friend was a Tongan, uh, a Tongan guy, Samoan guy, um, and uh, had many black teammates. And so I, I, I don't ever remember a time, even growing up in a white neighborhood, where I was, um, where I ever thought that I was superior to uh, another person. I don't know if that was inherent or if that was the upbringing that my parents gave me, uh, but I never, I never thought that. Uh, but it wasn't until... Um, 2013 when I adopted my son and you know this I adopted from Ethiopia that I had a black son uh, that I started viewing things differently than I did before and for me uh, I remember a turning point uh, when the um, uh, Michael Brown when Ferguson happened uh, and at that time the Trayvon Martin case had come down just uh, slightly earlier and I remember seeing on Facebook this white-black divide in their responses to what was going on. And I had never seen it before. And I remember thinking, man, has that always been there? I, I have never noticed this. Um, and I was thinking about my son as a 16-year-old uh, black boy in a primarily white neighborhood um, with a hoodie on at 10 p.m., just kind of coming back from a friend's house or whatever it was he was doing and running into the wrong guy. And just being at the wrong place at the wrong time with a guy who had racial angst in him and didn't like him for uh, the color of his skin. So uh, that's when it became real to me, and it's when I started noticing it. And I think, and I don't know, Chuck, you may um, share this or, or not, but I think among white evangelicalism, um, I don't think, I really don't, in this day and age, that there is a, a, this widespread conspiracy of racism. I really don't think that. Uh, I have a Bible study I leave on Wednesday mornings that is a bunch of 50-something white guys. And um, I, I look at them. They love Jesus. I know they love Jesus, but it has never been personal to them. And, you know, you preached a couple weeks ago on the, the hurt of elongating the sin of racism. And that's where I think I've been guilty. I, I wept when, I, when you preached that because I have been guilty because I have it, it took a black son for me to, to realize that. So do I think that... Um, Racism and racial injustice in the body of Christ exists. I do. I think it's, um, I think it's subtle, though. And I think for most of my counterparts, that you know, guys that I know and women, I don't think that it's overt. I just don't think they know. I think it's an ignorance. And it took 
me having a black son before I realized it. But most people aren't going to have that. So how do we get past that for those who are never going to have a black son like I have? And I appreciate that, Jeff. And here's the other thing I, I forgot to mention, just as a disclaimer. Let's be honest up here. All right? I, I don't think healing is going to take place if we're not honest, if we're not as transparent as possible. And I thank you just for setting the tone, Jeff, in terms of that level of transparency. And then also for our audience, can you please share this? I know we've mentioned this in the beginning. Let's share this because we want this message to reach as many homes and hearts as possible. So thank you so much for that, Jeff. Uh, Pastor Rodney, the same um, question to you. Well, first of all, thank God that uh, his spirit laid upon your heart to do this because I think this is just so awesome. And God is just so, he speaks to me in a humorous way. Even during worship, I, I began to just go back to the back and I was walking back and forth and looking in the bags, but I'm praying. <laughs> so I see in the bags and I see Oreo cookies. And something just dropped in my spirit. An Oreo cookie is not good unless you have the filling and the outside. And then you add the milk, you're off the chain, right? So you need one and the other to bring the fullness, the flavor of the Oreo cookie. And we're talking about, again, the racial divide. And so I just thought that was so funny, but it spoke to me. Amen. And one of the things I want to start out with um, to you guys here and those of you who are viewing, ask yourself this. Are you listening to understand or just waiting to respond? Are you listening to understand or just waiting to respond? Because unfortunately, most of us have a response already formulated in our minds. So we're not listening. So if there's no listening, there's no understanding, then it will not be any application. And I believe that is what has happened in the body of Christ as a whole. Nobody listens. Because when you begin to listen, like, like for example, you, you say you were from Chicago, right? And so I'm like, okay, cool, coal, pizza, you know? And I can start a conversation just by things that I know about Chicago. So I'm coming to the table, oh, well, tell me a little bit more. So I'm thinking, well, would you play basketball, football, baseball? Things like that because I'm coming to the table trying to understand something better about him. That's where Christ that's where we're supposed to be in Christ, right? Unfortunately, a lot of us are not. We're saved, and I'm probably jumping all ahead, but a lot of people in the body of Christ, I believe, are saved through religion and not relationship. Religion will keep us in the box, in our comfort zone. We are magnet to those who we are alike, right? But when we have a true Damascus Road experience, it's a game changer. I was listening to a worship mob this morning before I got to church here. Just a powerful sound of worship, black and white. The harmony, one voice, one sound, one spirit, one God. You see what I'm saying? So to answer your question, I believe that, yes, it's there. Um, I didn't even talk about myself, but anyway. <laughs> I'm all over. Share, right. share more about yourself, too, after you right, finish right. up that question. I, 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 believe, I believe it is there. And I use this example. Think about those of us who like sports. If our family liked the Bucks, when we were born, we immediately 
were relegated to the Bucks before we even had a decision. We had Bucks baby clothes, right? And we grew up in that culture. You got some people, they don't know nothing about football, the quarterback, but they are Bucks fans, <laughs> right? Well, I was, grew up in a Baptist home. My mother was Baptist. So I was born into that. I got saved to that, to that denomination. And so I was indoctrinated into that, you know, the long choir robes, all that stuff. And so I thought that that was worship. I thought that Baptists were right, just like Pentecostal think they're right. And so we're already in that, that box. You know, we, we don't even open ourselves up to our um, Caucasian or any, or even really, unfortunately, to even our brothers, brothers who are the same color. Well, you're Kojic, so I don't speak to you. So there's a, there's a divide even within us. But when I had that Damascus Road experience, it broke everything. And I wrote this down. I'm going to move on. One scripture, Job 42.5. Job says, I had heard of you only by the hearing of the ear. But now my spiritual eyes see you. Game changer. So I can't live this life just by what I hear. You know, that's what I believe keeps us. And that's what I believe has hindered the body of Christ as a whole is everybody is going on what their great, great, great grandmothers and family, generations of, of layers of uh, segregation and racism. We've gone by that, but we never look outside of the box. Amen. I love that point, Pastor Rodney. And I want you to share more about yourself really quickly, but I love the fact that you said we have these preconceived notions yes. concerning our brothers of other counterparts, other denominations, mm -hmm. and it's not until I'm in relationship, not only first with God, yes. but my brother that does not look like me, and even the brother that does look like me yes. of varying de denominations. So I think that's so critical. Mm -hmm. Can we see our brothers and sisters in the spirit yes. rather by ear alone? I love that. Yes. Um, could you give that uh, scripture one more time? I think that, our audience needs to write that down. That was Job 4 5. Job chapter 42, verse 5. Powerful scripture. Yes. Now, could you just share a little bit about yourself, your background, ministry um, kind of endeavors currently, and okay. then we'll move on to Pastor Well, I was, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, raised in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, I'm the executive pastor at Center for Manifestation, where Apostle Mark T. Jones is a senior pastor. Uh, I have uh, Four beautiful daughters, uh, awesome white, Fonda Norton, I believe, she, well, she's doing choir today, so she's not looking. Um, I'm an author, I have three books, I'm working on my fourth book now. Um, I love God, and I love God's people, and I can say something else, but anyway. Amen. I'm Amen. so glad to have yeah. you. I already, I'm already excited. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Pastor Chuck. There we go. Thank you so much, Pastor Keith. Um, this is amazing this morning. So my name is Chuck Ammons. I'm a longtime Floridian, been here almost all of my life, uh, married to the love of my life almost two decades, Jill, who's here with me this morning. And we've got five biological kids, but we're also a foster family that right now have a placement of two kids in a ministry to really see reunification. So we've been in a, in a ministry as a family watching that for some time, which has been beautiful. And, um, and really, in all life and ministry, I'm a teaching pastor out in Brandon at Overflow Church. And I've been there for 19 years now, uh, plugged in. And as far as my upbringing, growing up as a Floridian, 
You know, I was one of those that in the family that I grew up, and I love what Jeff hit here, the, the difference between sins of commission and sins of omission, um, because I think that's so key to your question about the body of Christ. Where I grew up, um, the elementary school I went to, there was one black family in the entire elementary school. One of my closest friends, he was at my house all the time. And in my mind growing up, the way my parents raised me, that was, not only was that not an issue or, or weird or strange, that was just, we were just friends. I didn't see any more than that. And so that's the lens that I took because so often what you see with other people is the world the way you see it. And so I went through Bible college, I, I started into ministry, and there have been these flashpoints. And I can go to the most, uh, the most recent for me that really shook me, the uh, Ahmaud Arbery shooting when that hit. Something in it just, just rattled me to my core, and I reached out to a, a dear beloved sister um, in our body that I've served with, and I, I've known that she's been on the front lines of this, and I said, what do we do about this? And she said, it's time, especially for white brothers and sisters, now is the time to listen. And so I started calling the number of, of black brothers and sisters and friends that I have that I trust, and I said, listen, I, we hear the polarization, we hear the media, that's obvious. We know the media is going to have an agenda to divide and accuse, which is Satan's work, which should never be the work of the body of Christ. We shouldn't look like division and accusation. We should look like John 17, union and communion. So I started to ask the question. I said, is this your experience? Is this what you've seen? And every single person, and these are people from locally, London, missions that, that we've gone to firsthand in Nigeria, Haiti, so all around the world, and all of my black brothers and sisters were saying, yeah, there's a polarization, but this is real and it's much more prevalent than you've been aware of. And, and it was this place of, um, I think, Jeff, you nailed it, the idea of sins of omission, not sins of commission. Because obviously we see pockets. I mean, I mean, really, when you talk about the issue of racism, you're talking about the sin of Cain. We're going back to the, to the beginning of all time. I'm not my brother's keeper. This fear of scarcity, this, you know, Jacob and Esau, it's... It's the same thing over and over again. The father only has so much to go around. And so if I'm going to get it, then I need to step on you and I need to elevate above you. And all those divisions that we've seen, and certainly there are pockets of that. But what I'm watching right now, and the reason I'm so excited, because I believe Jesus Christ alone is the hope of the world, which means I believe the body of Christ is the hope of the world. So when it's darkest outside, that's when the light is most evident. I believe the opportunity for the church right now um, especially the white evangelical church, is there needs to be a humility that comes from compassion and trust and listening to our brothers and sisters and not jumping to the place where, and it gets into any of these things, right? The, I remember one of my, my friends saying, you know, if the minute you hear the phrase black lives matter, not even talking the movement, you hear that phrase, you feel the need to immediately jump in and say, well, all lives matter, then that shows at its core, especially if you're talking to a brother or sister of color, a lack of compassion, trust, listening, empathizing, trying to walk the same road. So I believe it is a lot more prevalent in the sin of omission than we've recognized. And I think the only way forward for the church is we've got we've to recognize that the media and the accuser is always going to be trying to polarize. We've gotta, that's obvious. We've got to stop talking about that. And Jesus offers us another way that isn't the left or the right, right? He offers us the way of love and compassion. And so I believe uh, for us, the way forward has to be the way of listening. And I think I'm, I'm loving the theme that we're kind of hearing from our panelists. The Bible declares that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And I think it's, it's just critical that we listen. Um, and I think on both sides of the aisle, 
And I think a lot of times we're saying, can we listen to our black brothers? But I think there needs to be a, also a level of listening on the other side of the aisle. The Bible says, how can we walk together lest, to, lest they agree? Um, so there needs to be some level of communication on both sides. So I, I love that. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Chuck, um, for bringing that out. Uh, Pastor Christopher, if you can share as well. Thank you. So thank you for having me here. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on uh, with these men of God. Uh, so I am from originally from a small town right outside of Jacksonville, uh, actually in between Jacksonville, St. Augustine, and, and Gainesville called Palatka, Florida, very small town. Um, and I uh, graduated from high school there. Uh, my wife is here. We've been together 20 years. Uh, we met at Florida State where I did undergraduate, undergraduate work. I uh, graduated from there, moved to South Carolina, did my graduate work in University of South Carolina. Uh, left there, we moved to North Carolina and spent uh, almost 12 years in North Carolina in Greensboro. Um, did graduate work or doctoral work at Nova Southeastern. And um, once we transitioned from there, we moved to Chicago. We were in Chicago for about five years. Uh, and then God, we felt like God was calling us back to Florida. And so we ended up coming back to, to Tampa. Um, I served full time as the executive pastor at Crossover Church uh, here in Tampa. Uh, so we are a true multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-generational uh, church. And um, I say that in the sense that um, I have, uh, in the span of time that I've served in ministry full time, um, I've served at churches as small as 250 and as large as 18,000. I've been in diverse churches. I've been in all black churches. I've been uh, the only black person on an all white staff, right? All white church uh, and everything in between. Uh, and so I understand sometimes how this conversation can be layered and nuanced. And uh, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to be truthful from our perspective. And so I want to respectfully maybe uh, bring another perspective to what, what my brothers uh, here shared a little bit. And uh, in, in that I think when we check the history from the church perspective, um, and, and I appreciate the, the distinction between commission and omission, because I think that there's some layers to that. Uh, but one of the things that we cannot deny is that there was also historically an intentional effort to divide based on racial lines. Uh, there was uh, intentional strategy. Uh, and, and so for me, part of the omission part, in some ways, omission is unintentional. You know, um, I think that there, there has to be an acknowledgement of that. Um, and so that's why for me, I think it's, it's a little challenging if we put it on the commission and omission part without acknowledging that historically for the church in America, right? And one of the things that I've said in other, other spaces on the ways, um, where we are now, um, literally this year, 2020, is that what most of America has seen as it relates to the Ahmaud Arbery case, uh, the George Floyd murder, um, the Central Park scenario, um, really there's a domino effect, right? The Breonna Taylor situation um, is really a validation for many people of color that what we've been saying for years, now you all see it, right? And, and, and so there's a sense of, it's almost, it's almost like, you know, husbands and wives, we get this, right? So, you know, your spouse says to you, hey, you may want to fix that before this happens. You're like, oh no, it'll be all right. And then when it happens, like, see, I told you, right? Um, for, for many people of color, what we are seeing now is the acknowledgement of truth, right? And I, I have, for the last few years, just in my own heart, felt some angst on this whole idea of uh, my truth, my truth, right? Because that becomes so personal and, and so opinionated and so subjective, 
right? Uh, when the truth of the matter is that that what part of what the body of Christ has, has to do in this moment in this season is acknowledge facts, acknowledge history. Reconciliation can't happen until there's repentance and true listening. Um, it's interesting because uh, at every stage of history in America, um, there has been a visceral attack from faith leaders on reconciliation, right? And I've recommitted myself over the last few months to not try to argue a point um, for people who aren't believers, but to really hone in on folks who are believers. Because if you are a believer, for you to say, right, that racism doesn't exist um, is a denial of truth, okay? Um, it is um, a resistance to the move of the Holy Spirit on your heart from a compassionate standpoint, right? Uh, it is ignoring the leading of the Holy Spirit on what he's revealing to you. Now, you may not want to change it. You may not know how to change it. But to deny its, ex its existence is, is a challenge. Uh, last thing I'll say, because I know we got lots of other questions to go through here. Um, I, I love uh, Pastor Chuck. Mm -hmm. Pastor Chuck said something that I think is really powerful and, and, and key in, in all of this discussion. Um, I have figured out more intimately over the last six months how few white people actually have intimate relationship with people of color, right? And so the pain isn't personal, right? You have to, you have to be able to make the pain personal. Anytime you choose an issue over a person, that's because you're not intimate with a person that deals with that pain, okay? And so um, he was able to pick up the phone and actually call people who would tell him the truth. And I think oftentimes this issue, when we talk about the polarization and things of that nature, this issue becomes so polarized because you will have whites um, who will lift up, you know, uh, black Republicans. And I don't have a problem with black Republicans. I don't have a problem with black conservatives. I think there's space in our country for their thoughts and ideas and paradigms and perspectives. Absolutely. What I do have a problem, though, with is, is that you become so intertwined with a political party that you deny truth. And, and so what he found out was, even if you are a person who is a black conservative who wants to align with certain um, political beliefs and political ideologies, again, perfectly fine. I have no personal problem with that at all. You cannot find, for the most part, any person of color who hasn't had an experience of racism. And to deny that reality, right? And so part of, part of this, you know, I, I, I've said to several people, if you're a person of faith, there's roughly about 14 million black households in the United States. 14 million black households. Are you really suggesting to me that you want to turn a blind eye and a blind ear to 14 million households in the nation that you say you love? 14 million. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the households. 14 million, right? And, and so your, your series about loving your neighbor and things of that nature, uh, we really have to begin to be truth tellers, right? Because historically, the church has had prophetic laryngitis. We've been inconsistent in what we define as social issues and issues of comfort. Uh, I promise this will be the last thing. The church, white church, 
knows how to advocate for issues they're passionate about. They know how to. If you don't believe me, raise the issue of abortion. If you don't believe me, raise the issue of marriage. If you don't believe me, raise the issue of trafficking. They know how to make that a biblical, social, and justice issue. Yes. So then why are there so many pastors who say, well, I just don't know what to do? I think there's a point where we listen, but then I think there's a point where we lean in and we put faith and works together. Amen. I think we're in the meat of our discussion, and I'm, I'm pretty sure our audience realizes why I invited Pastor Christopher here. You said so much. All right, you said so much, and I think I'm sorry. I want to highlight a couple of the points, and then I want to pose a question to what you stated. You talked about that from a historical standpoint. If we're ever going to promote healing in the body of Christ as it pertains to this issue, we have to understand where we've come from historically and where this issue stands within the body of Christ. And I think that's critical. And I actually challenged our church to understand the history of racism and racial injustice, especially in the body of Christ. If anybody knows where the African Methodist Episcopal Church was birthed out of, it was birthed out of those similar issues. Um, the second piece you said is about diversity or in terms of relationship and how diverse our relationships are. And I, I said this to our church as well. If the body of Christ is called to be diverse, then our relationship should be as well. And if we negate those relationships and we don't have those relationships to pull on, we'll never be able to promote healing as it pertains to this issue. But I want to bring up something that you talked about in terms of repentance. I think this is one of the um, kind of language that has come out of um, and, and just stay with me because I think the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. So if we, we can't be honest, we can't cut in this conversation, this, this isn't going to go anywhere. Um, this piece of repentance. I've heard many say, why should I repent for an issue that I did not commit? Why should I repent for sins that my forefathers um, committed and I had nothing to do with it? So this level of repentance, I want to pose this to you. Who are you suggesting should repent? Um, and then how, and, and if, if they have not had a direct um, uh, component in uh, pushing this agenda of racism and racial injustice, why should they? So if you could just yeah, kind of talk a, to that piece. That's a great question. Um, and let me, let me say, um, just because the policies change doesn't mean the practices or the culture changes, okay? Um, there's lots of buzzwords that we throw out that, that, that do become polarizing. Um, and so let's, sometimes we have to define it then, right? Uh, one of the words that has become polarizing is privilege. It's, it's really become a, 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 a polarizing word that, you know, in many ways, and let me, let me say this too, uh, really fast. In a real way, for many whites, I am empathetic. I'm empathetic because we are in 2020, and for many of them, not all, but for many, this is culture shock that they're experiencing. This is the first time in a real way that they've come face to face with the fact that number one, we're not in a post-racial society. Number two, that their lived experience is radically different for millions of other people in the United States, right? Uh, our church is near here, right? We're on Fowler Avenue. There's a, there's a Starbucks that's on 15th and Fowler. I live in Valrico. 
okay? If I were to go to that Starbucks on 15th and Fowler, the experience on that Starbucks is going to be radically different than the experience at the Starbucks near my house, right? Uh, if you are a white person, you can literally live your entire life in America and never have to encounter people of color. If you are a black person, that is an impossible, right? And so that reality, that's culture shock. That's, I, and so I, a part of me is empathetic with that, okay? Now, privilege is not bad if you know how to use it. If you use your privilege to leverage your influence and power for others, God has actually, it becomes God-ordained privilege. What has happened is, in many cases, because of that proximity to people, right? Because empathy is developed by proximity. And so what ends up happening is, because many whites are not in proximity to people of color, they actually have the privilege, white privilege, to choose to disengage from an issue that doesn't feel close. And so not using that privilege, that influence, that power, which is leadership, right, then makes them complicit in not just the individual, because there are dimensions to racism, right, but it makes them complicit to the systemic racism that exists, right? Um, there's a book called The uh, Color of Compromise. I would encourage anybody that hasn't read it to read it. It talks about the role of racism in America from the church perspective. And uh, Jamar Tisby, who's a historian, wrote this. And in the book, he says, um, so everybody, many people know, not, I shouldn't say everybody, I apologize. Many people know about the bombing at 16th Street Baptist Church uh, in Alabama, right? Four uh, young black girls, 14, 14, 11, and 12, I think, were the ages. Uh, they're downstairs in, in the basement of the church, um, and a KKK member goes, plants a bomb, blows the church up, right? All four girls lose their lives. One young, one, one young lady, I think her name was Cynthia, she, the bomb, she's so close to the bomb, her whole body actually gets dismembered, right? The only way that the parents were able to identify the body was because of the ring on her finger that matched the shoes that her feet were on the other part of the, other part of the, the campus of the, of the building. But, but here's why I bring that up. So there's a gentleman by the name of Charles Morgan who was a white lawyer. And uh, uh, before the funeral, on the day after the bombing, um, he's at a meeting in Birmingham of an all-white young men's business club. And uh, of course, you know, everybody at that time knew about it. Um, and here's what he said. He said, who did it? Who threw that bomb? Was it a Negro or was it a white? This is his words. The answer should be, we all did it. Every last one of us is condemned for that crime and the bombing before it and, the, and even a decade ago, we all did it. Now, here's why I bring that up. He, sta he stated that at an all-white meeting. But two weeks after that was forced out of town because of death threats from whites who were faith leaders. Right? So my point is, again, at every stage, there has been a white resistance to, to the tearing down of systemic injustice, right? Right now, there are white pastors in our city who have said, I don't want to preach that because racism is not about God or not about the Bible. Jesus and justice go together. You will never find from the table of contents to the maps a point in scripture where God is not on the side of the oppressed. Never. And, and so what we have to repent for is for the privilege to be able to be complicit and to turn a blind eye.
if, if you, and, and I've, I've been resistant to the word ally because I think the word ally allows for you to become passive. You can say out of your mouth something, but then in actions be passive. You can't be an advocate though and be passive. And so the role then becomes, how are you intentionally working to tear down systemic injustice? I appreciate that comment. Can I, can I um, in terms of rebuttal, I'm not saying in re response is, a, is probably a better word. Um, just Pastor Chuck or even Jeff, um, just how, your feelings towards the level of complicity that Pastor Christopher is speaking on and what is your level of, uh, of response to that? Do you feel that is uh, justified? Yeah, I, I think, Pastor Christopher, I think you're dead on. You come from the beginning of this, and I think even that, that stance between uh, commission omission, that we have this tendency as people to put, especially Western people, to put things in neat little boxes. Yeah. It's either this or it's this, and very rarely is that actually the fact. Yeah. And so I think when you ask the question about repentance, if you come back to people saying, well, why should I repent for something I haven't done, right? Well, I wasn't in the garden with Adam and Eve. I don't know about you, right? I wasn't present there. However... There's a Jesus that needed to go to the cross because of my sin in the Garden of Eden. Wow. Um, when you follow the Old Testament and they see sins that came before them, they never said, well, I didn't do that. They said, Father, I repent. I repent for where I stood there. So I think where Pastor Christopher nailed it. Jesus gave us, listen, they had 613 laws. He gave us a very simple theology. He said, you want to know the whole Bible? Love me with all of your heart. And from the overflow of how much I adore you, how much I've blessed you, now pour out and love your literal neighbor as your literal self. Wow. And so in this question of oppression, uh, in this question of repentance, any place, okay, it, it blows so much beyond the, the issue of racial reconciliation. Any place in the world we see right now in America, we're the richest 1% of the world. We have all the resources, right? You go to, to, to when God first set up a nation, like we just celebrated our national birthday. When God first set up a nation in Genesis 12, he says to Abram, I'm going to build you into a nation, and here's the reason. So I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to all people upon the earth. So why do we get privilege? Well, love the Lord with all of your heart. I adore you so that you can give my adoration to the whole world. Any place that's not happening from the body of Christ, we are complicit. We are. Yeah. So any place there's division and I'm not loving my literal neighbor as my literal self, whether that be economic, whether that be race, whether that be sexism, whether that be ageism, whether that be the millions that are dying of a lack of access to clean water, we could go down the road. And, and the bottom line is there has been this hoarding of privilege that I believe comes from an orphan mentality. I believe that's, that's powerful, man. You know, I, I think it comes from this idea of if, if you even look back at the sin of Cain, which I talked about, it, Cain came and brought an offering in a way that wasn't pleasing to the father, and he couldn't accept that. It had to be Abel's fault, right? So Abel had to pay for it. That's an orphan mentality. I know it working with foster kids, right? You come in the place of the orphan mentality is, I'm afraid there's not going to be enough at the table. Yeah. And so since I'm afraid there's not going to be enough at the table, I'm going to hoard mine, and I'm going to make my borders really small, and I'm going to protect me and my people, and so I'll go even bigger. I'm going to say, if, if you bear the name of Christ and you're talking about me and my people, the cross showed that Jesus died for like, all people are my people, yeah. right? That's what he said. And the reason he hasn't come back is because he wants all people to come to him. So Pastor Chuck, I just real fast, yes. one of the things that I love what he just said, and I heard a quote the other day that totally blew me out of the water. And the quote said, the church is most dangerous when it's closest to power. Yes. 
you 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 just said a whole bunch, Pastor Chuck, and I. I we in a black church, and I wanted to run. So. Do it. Listen now, listen. But you. But I'm in a getting, church with too many white people. I need you. Because I was got about to take off. They no. watch me every week, pace back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and I'm looking for a pulse sometimes. But I, I so think, you do I, it. Yeah, I think we're really digging deep into the meat of this issue and where we kind of stand. Uh, and I see you, Pastor Rodney, and I, I want to, Jeff, if you want to kind of uh, give a response to that initial um, question. Of, well, yeah, I, I think Chris the, and then Pastor Rodney. Yeah, the reason that we don't repent for those things is because we have pride, right? I mean, pride is the chief enemy of grace. Absolutely. Um, and so if we are going to be prideful, then we're not, you know, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And I have a, I have a Bible study Wednesday morning, primarily white guys are in this study. We're going through a four-week study, which, by the way, we've gone through like an eighth of the content that I prepared because we can't get off anything. But they, we're, we're going through this study, and I brought this up, and so we brought up the whole Colin Kaepernick thing and the kneeing, right, at the national anthem. And I said, now, let me ask you something. I read this scripture. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. So how should you consider Colin Kaepernick? <laughs> better than yourself? We don't like it as whites when blacks protest in ways that we don't approve of. I mean, that's, can I, real talk? We don't like that. And so we're okay with protesting so long as you protest in the way that we're okay with, right? But when it really comes and it hits home, then we're not okay with it. And what I was trying to tell these guys, like, listen, so you love the flag. That's great. All of his protests, did any of them cause any, any riots to take place? You're complaining about the riots, right? Oh, they're rioting again. But here, here is a protest that made no riots whatsoever and he uses platform just like we say use your platform to tell others about Jesus that's exactly what he's doing but you got a problem with it so to me the issue is pride it's a pride issue among us all amen and until we until we that's why when someone says why should I, and I listen I got a very good friend of mine he called me up the other day we were talking this man loves Jesus I know he loves Jesus he was raised in New York he's like man I all of them right blacks Hispanics Asian whatever I, I was raised with them all He's like, we got to get past this stuff. We got to get past the past. And we got to move on to the future, and and in a sense, I get what he's saying, right? But until you grieve with those who grieve, I think it's very difficult to do that. And what I'm hearing, and I did the same thing, Chuck. I called up, I called up Keith. I called up Zelvis. I called up Shane. I called up Kevin. I called up my friends of color. Said, tell me about this, and because I, I wanted to know, most white guys that are. I shouldn't say most, many, that at least I know, they don't have black friends. When I said, I gave him a homework assignment the other day, I said, go home uh, this week and, and just talk to an African-American about their personal experience, because you said something, brother. We don't, until it's personal, it's not going to matter. And if you don't have any reference point, all you see is what you see on social media, and forget about it. That's the most divisive place you can be. Um, so for me, it's a, it's a pride issue, but I think everyone, so... So when, when I'm hearing my black brothers and sisters say, this is a real deal, much more than I thought it was, and repentance is, is not a black-white thing. That's a, that's a biblical thing, right? God calls each of us to repent. So until we repent and, I, I, I mean, errors of omission, sins of commission, omission, I think, I think there's something to that. I did not realize where I was at from a, from a, from a sinning standpoint 
by not engaging. And because I have privilege, uh, it's true, I have a responsibility, because if not, I've wasted. The scriptures say make the most of your opportunities. And right now is a time where we, as, as I believe, white evangelicalism, with that privilege, need to be taking a stand for this issue. Jeff, can I I'm, ask a little pastor? Can I say this, Pastor Chris? I want our audience to make note of a few things that has been kind of thematic uh, across our discussion. One is we talked about pride that gets in the way of healing. We also talked about proximity. So what is our proximity to our brother and sister in Christ that does not look like us? And um, the third point was, uh, I missed it. I, I lost my train of thought. Holy Spirit will bring it back. I, it, it will. So um, go ahead, Pastor I was just going to ask Jeff a question. H how old were you or range when you adopted your son, just out of curiosity? How long was I what? How old were you when you adopted your son? Well, what, someone help me with some math. I'm 42. That was 13. 29. So I was 30, so right at 30. like 35, 30, 34. So 34, 35. Yeah, yeah. So to me, the, the power of what you've said is that you, you, you had already lived 30 plus years without even the awareness that there was an issue, right? And, and so because, because you then adopted your son um, who raised that awareness, right? Um, I, I think that becomes really um, the catalyst for many people. It's gotta be the catalyst for many people around this conversation because if you can't put a name to this, you can dismiss this. If you cannot put a name to this, you can dismiss this, right? Um, and so, so I'll stop there because I know you want to go some other places. Pastor Rodney, and then Pastor Chuck, I want you to hold on to this thought because I want you to speak on this. I heard you speak on it um, on one of your videos, the difference between nationalism and patriotism. I want you to speak on that because I believe it's relevant to the conversation. Yes, yeah. Pastor Rock. Real, real quick, uh, you had said something as far as the, the, the whites do not like the way the blacks protest, right? Something else hit me. The whites do not also like the way blacks celebrate. If we take it to sports, if you know our culture, if you go to Little League, when you get a touchdown, it's a celebration. <laughs> Am I right? But when you, in college, it's the same thing. But when you get to the NFL, now what they have, they have cut the celebration off, and now you're being penalized. So now, because you guys are on the outer court, not understanding the culture and the history of it, wow. it has been cut off and put in a box. But you go to hockey, and it's okay to fight <laughs> because that's the culture. So there's more understanding. But I wanted to bring up something when you were talking about repentance. And the Holy Spirit took me to Exodus 32, 30. The original, one of the original intercessors, and that's Moses. You know, the children of Israel, they were doing what they were doing, and God was getting ready to wipe them out. And so Moses said in verse 30, then the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, so he's interceding. He didn't do it, but he's interceding on behalf of those. 
And if you keep reading, you see God, okay, I won't do what I wanted to do. Even of those of us who are, who are, who are married, part of being a covering is being an intercessor. And so getting back to what I said when I first started, if you're in religion, you're going to take everything personal. It's about them. Relationship, true relationship, you have the nature and the heart of God. So now it's something the Holy Spirit is prompting inside of you, right? Because God will, will, this panel has, has, has opened you guys up because you came to the table ready to receive. So now you're in a receptive mode, you know, and your heart is crying out because you know, especially as a believer, that's not of God. That's not of God. That's not of God. Proverbs 21.1 says the heart of the king is in the master's hands. I can't change someone's hearts, but I can intercede on their behalf. And I believe that as a church, if we did more intercession, my God, I believe the heart of God would have been changed. Some people's hearts, and I, be, I know you're going to ask this question, but even moving forward, it's our responsibility. Yes, faith without works, but it starts with intercession. And then through that intercession, you remove yourself, relationship, you remove yourself from the dysfunctional blueprints that we all have been raised up with. So now you, you, your steps are being ordered by the Lord. You're being led by the Holy Spirit. And so as a result, through our conversation, something can come out and, and the Holy Spirit will drop something in my heart to pray for you about. And we hadn't even verbally discussed. Yeah. You understand? And so it's beyond skin. If I needed a kidney, I don't care where that kidney comes from. So it's, it, it's, that's where we have to get to. It's a hard issue. Thank you, Pastor Rodney. And I, I think this leads into our next question. I know you guys had these questions beforehand, but just for the sake of our audience, considering the words of Jesus in John 17, 20 through 21, just to hunk it off, Jesus prayed this to the Father, saying that his prayer for his disciples, for those that followed him, for them to be one just as he and the Father are one. And we've Notice this is, is made it prevalent. I think it's been exposed within the body of Christ that even in 2020, Sundays are the most segregated um, day of the week. This is just clear. Uh, just a, a research that was done by Lifeway, um, it stated that eight and not 10 congregations are made up of one predominant racial group. 50% of those members believe that their respective churches don't need to be more diverse. So there's a, a great uh, majority of them that don't feel like diversity is um, is an issue and understanding that the body of Christ is diverse and that the physical sh church should reflect God's will um, in the body. Why do you think we were so segregated on Sundays and what do you think we can do to begin to make the church reflect God's will in terms of diversity? I want to pose this to Pastor Christopher, especially understanding your context and where you've come from, the churches that you've served in. Um, why are we so segregated on Sundays? And then what can we do to now reflect God's will for the body? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely passionate and happy to answer that question. I want to defer just for a moment to Pastor Chuck because you asked him about nationalism and that kind of thing. So I'd love for him to maybe unpack that just for a moment. And then I want to come right back to that question because I, I got a lot to say about it. <laughs> That's good. Well, I, I do think so much of this, if we're getting down to the simplicity, the simple gospel, Love God with all of your heart from the overflow of that place. Love your literal neighbors, your literal self, which should not have any boundary line, any color line, any race line, any gender line. And we have a lot of confusion in the church today. And I could speak specifically to the white evangelical church, and I can go even more to the church of the South. 
um, between patriotism and nationalism. So patriotism would be a joy in or a devotion to your country. And I believe, according to the Lord, that that, like many other things, like our ethnicity, like the fact that I'm a husband, I'm a dad, there's a uniqueness in where God makes you and makes your homeland that he wants you to be proud of. There's a distinction. Patriotism's a gift. But nationalism, and it blurs very quickly, and I've seen it in the white evangelical church, it blurs very quickly that nationalism is suddenly now, I'm going to choose to exalt my nation's narrative, story, and exalt it to the place that will often be at the expense of other nations. And it's the thing where you'll open up the newspaper and see something happens to an American, page one, and we're going to talk about it for a month. Meanwhile, in Thailand, right, a typhoon came and wiped out, you know, 600,000 people, and it's page 12, and we move on. And when you're looking at this question, I think it's really going to feed into where Pastor Christopher's going, because when you look at John 17 and Jesus' prayer, my heart breaks when, when looking on the page that you handed us, you see Jesus' prayer, and two paragraphs later, I'm reading a statistic from you. Jesus' prayer is, I'm going to the cross, now make them all one, right? Pentecost was supposed to be the reversal of the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, we scattered into a bunch of different nations that wouldn't see and speak the same language and understand. At Pentecost, all the various nations are hearing the tongues of God in their own voice because he's calling us together. And then to read that 80% of our congregations are split along racial lines, and over half of our evangelical church doesn't think that's a problem. That to me says that when we've stepped into this place where, where nationalism comes, and this would be where I would say it really ties into the, the question of race. Nationalism sets up borders where it says, these are my people, and I'm going to protect them. And then evangelical nationalism then will make it even smaller. So we'll go, here's my brand, here's my denomination, here's my church, and when you're my people, I'm going to protect you. And I think the cross has called for so much better than that for us so that we have to be people that, that can recognize in the polarization that patriotism is a gift. I would say that to my, I've got a brother in, in London that I just talked to and I said, be proud that you're a Brit. That's great. God, God could have you know, placed you anywhere. He numbers every star, numbers every hair on your head. He wants you to be there for such a time as this. It's awesome that you would have a sense of national pride. However, the reason God establishes nations is so he can bless you so that with that privilege, you would see all people come to the heart of the Father. And I think that's where the core of this is. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's nothing he's just said that I would push back on at all. I think he was spot on. Um, oftentimes, well, let me, let me back up. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, in our discipleship process, it is very often that we have to unlearn things in order to learn things right. What we've inevitably done in the body of Christ, though, is held on to what we learned with the refusal to acknowledge that what we learned was wrong. Okay? Uh, I was on a panel the other day. Uh, I, was the only, I think I was the only believer on the panel, right? Um, and there's a gentleman that said on the panel, we were live telecast, like, I don't know why the pastor keeps bringing up religion and race because it has nothing to do with it, each other. And I said to him, I said, Ashley, sir, and this is an African-American gentleman. I said, Ashley, sir, if you trace the history of race and theology in America, racism was birthed through bad theology. If you look at the core of where racism in America came from, it was birthed through bad theology. 
if, if people had not twisted, omitted, cut, and carved the word of God and the spirit and essence of what God's word, word was, there would be no racism in America. <laughs> because of the church in America, racism got birth. And one of the things that I say often is, um, my, my wife and I are a little old school in the sense that if our kids were here, we have four, if our kids were here, anybody in this room that saw them do something wrong can check them. Now, after they check them, they need to bring them to us, right? I don't want you to abuse my child, right? But you can tell, like, sit down and be quiet. We're not those kind of parents that's going to be like, well, that's my child. You only tell my child what to do. No, like, if they do wrong, they do wrong. But there is nobody on the planet that can correct our four children like us. Because not just from a spiritual authority standpoint, but from a natural standpoint, we brought you in this world. Right? We're helping you to live. We're, we're providing for you. We, we've, we've known you. Like, I, will, I am the first person. Even before my wife, she carried them, but I'm the first person to hold them in the earth. Right? So I can correct them because I've got that authority. Think about this for a moment. If racism is the baby of the church, who's responsible for correcting our baby? It's, it's, it's not the government. I, I appreciate what they, what they may do, right? Because we can't legislate morality. I understand that. But when the church abdicates its responsibility and influence to that power politically, we lose the influence of becoming the conscience of the nation. God wants us to be influenced. He's, he wants us to have the mayor on speed dial, have the police chief on speed dial, have the sheriff on speed dial, have the state attorney on speed dial, right? Have all these influences on speed dial. But we cannot get so close to that power that we, we don't become the conscience of God in the earth. And so when the church then uh, bifurcates that responsibility, historically and present day, last thing I'll say to this, to your point, right now there's this huge debate in the body of Christ about whether or not we can celebrate or even say black lives matter. And a part of the pushback from many in the faith community is, well, when you look at the organization and the tenets of the organization, here's what they stand for. Granted, I agree with you theologically, but let's look at this socially. And I'll just approach this from the black church standpoint and then make it broader to include the white evangelical church. There has been no movement of progress racially in America that did not start in the church. The church, the black church, then abdicated over time its authority and influence on social justice at the expense of making people in the pew comfortable for progress. And so then you have people outside of the church black people who are still dealing with these realities saying, where's the church? Where's the church? Where's the church? Where's the church? And we created our own subculture over here just having church, not dealing with the issues in many ways. And that's not everybody, but that's by and large, right? So then when Black Lives Matter gets started, really it's the birth of the church being negligent in its biblical authority. Okay? And then when you multiply that on the white church, who, watch this, to massage their conscience, launched mercy ministries. Mercy ministries are, you know, going and building orphanages, orphanages doing uh, water uh, villages, uh, traveling to other countries to do this and do that. Even in America, um, there are many, many cases where white churches 
were moved in their conscience to see these issues. They didn't want to address systemic injustice because to address systemic injustice is actually to be the mind of the kingdom, right? They wanted to massage their conscience by throwing money at it. So they would go in and start organizations in the inner city never talking to black churches, right? right? And as they launch these, it helps them deal with mercy, but they didn't have the justice component. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus did not advocate for, for grace or truth. The Bible says he was full of both grace and truth. So when we start thinking binary, and so I have some, some issue with the church, black and white, um, wanting to automatically just rebuke individuals who have felt a need and feel the gap when the church was absent. Right? So if we're going to be the church, then let's unite. Let's declare that Jesus and justice go together. Let's repent. Let's acknowledge true history, right? We, we can, we're smart enough as Americans, we can have multiple conversations at the same time. We don't have to have either or, right? Just like people bring up, well, y'all are talking about racism. What about black, black on black crime? Do you honestly think black people want crime in their neighborhoods? That's the wrong conversation. We can have that conversation, but right now, I need you to get your foot off my neck. Right? We need to be, we need we talk about lamenting. We talk about sitting in the moment of presence. If my brother here called me, if we were really, really close and he called me and he just lost a loved one, right? I'm not gonna ask him in that moment, man, tell me about your speeding tickets. Yeah. In that moment, it don't matter. I'm gonna sit with him and lament with him in this pain. And as we get over this hump down the road. Now let's talk about your speeding tickets because you drove too fast, right? You, you see where I'm going with that? As Americans, we, I, I feel like we get selective on how we choose to embrace things. We can have multiple conversations at the same time, and particularly from the faith standpoint, we just got to tell the truth. We got to acknowledge history, right? Right now, white, many white supremacist organizations in the United States are actually listed as Christian organizations. When you look at their charters and how they were founded, they are listed as Christian organizations. Last thing I'll say is, in many ways, black pastors and pastors of color have been arguing this point for years. We need brothers like this right here because they're going to be in rooms that we won't be in. We need brothers like this to say, okay, time out. Time out. I know you're going to go to Valrico. I know you're going to go to New Tampa. I know you're going to go to Plant City but let's talk about real life for a moment, right? I need this brother right here when he's in at, at, at events with his family, when somebody makes a sly joke or sly comment, shut it down. I need other brothers that look like them when they're at work downtown Tampa or wherever their offices may be on Bayshore or wherever else, when they hear it and it's not truth, shut it down. Lastly, I need white pastors to use their power and their influence to literally live out the word of God. Yes. If you live out the word of God, we can work through everything else. I, I love that. And I think, oh man, y'all saying so much and then we, it's so much that we can dig into, but I think you kind of blended into question um, number four. And I want to kind of just jump from three to four to talk about this. And Pastor Rodney, I want, I want you to talk to this piece and I'll let you um, answer this, but one of the things that you said, Pastor Christopher, is that racism was birthed out of bad theology. Um, and a lot of that could, was intentional. 
intentional bad theology. Um, and I know you talked about Pastor Rod, and there were some things that you had to unlearn. Um, and what, what got you to that point to unlearn some things that you probably were reared in from a Baptist perspective to get to the place that you are now? And then I want you to answer this question, and I'll pose it to Pastor Chuck, to Jeff. What is the role of faith leaders? I think Pastor Christopher hit it on the head, but what is the role of faith leaders as it pertains to racial re reconciliation, and how do they leverage that influence on those that they lead, um, i.e. their congregations? So if uh, Pastor Rodney, if you could great, jump into great that. Great question. Um, and I said earlier, I just had the Damascus Road experience, personal experience with Jesus Christ. I have a scripture here, and this is one of my favorite scriptures, and I'll answer the question out of this scripture. First Thessalonians 5, 23. This is the Amplified. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. That is, separate you from profane and vulgar things, make you pure and whole and undamaged, consecrated to him, set apart for his purpose, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete and found blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's word that declares that we are three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. Now, upon salvation, our spirit, according to Ephesians, is sealed. Now we got to work on our soul, which is, consists of our mind, will, and emotions, right? Just going to church won't do that. When we really get into the word, through the washing of the word, that begins to heal the emotion, the, 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 the dysfunctional blueprints, the, the mindsets that I previously had before salvation. Once I begin to get into the word of God, now all of that, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming pure, whole, and complete because my fragmented soul that was all over the place now is becoming whole. So now as a whole believer, I'm now able to look through the lenses of God and I don't per se. Now there's reality. I'm not saying that there has not been things that has happened black or white. But once I begin to see through the lenses of God, I can see a soul. Right? What is, according to Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. So my agenda, as it previously was, is no longer. Why am I here? To represent Christ and how I live. And the fruit of that, right? I'm walking in love. I'm walking in joy. All those things. So now that I'm whole, I'm healed. Now I can go forward and I can operate the way God has called me to operate, the problem is in the body of Christ. And, and Pastor, you hit some powerful points. We've been stuck in buildings doing religion. So now, because we're in religion, you can see believers that operate in hate. They're full of anger and rage, discriminate, prejudice, selfish pride. When I read the word of God, when we fully are transformed, I can talk to you and I can disagree but that don't mean I have to hate you you see what I'm saying and even with it we got brothers and sisters we hating each other all of these the manifestation watch this of a broken soul an unhealed person let me tie these two questions together because I here, here's a concern that I have uh, we talked about relationship within the body of Christ that's critical but there's a habit in the body of Christ that demonize doctrinal differences of believers all right, uh, further promoting the racial divide. We call them heretics. We call them false. 
And this is most seen, I said, by white evangelicals in respect to their black Pentecostal or non-denominational counterparts. In many cases, these doctrinal fallacies could be attributed to ignorance. Um, it could be rather than intent. And we're admonished to reason together. With that being said, how can we begin to create this dialogue? Because I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Rodney, but if I have a doctrinal belief that is starkly different from my brother in Christ, and I feel like I'm being washed by the word, but it causes me to get to a place where I consider them a heretic and relationship is no longer a possible a possibility because of those doctrinal differences. I don't well, think it's doctrinal differences. Yeah. In, in many cases, I, I don't think it's doctrinal differences. In many cases, I think it's simply the expression of how we live out our theology, right? His, historically, you won't find many people of color who are not conservative theologically. You just, you, generally you won't, right? The difference is that many whites have the luxury of not having to be liberal socially in terms of justice issues, right? So that's, that is not a, that is not a um, uh, uh, doctrinal difference. To me, there are different expressions. Historically, um, those that are charismatic in expression. And so give you background, I've been, a, I've been a part of Baptist churches. I was ordained and licensed in a Baptist church, right? Uh, my, my wife and I were a part of a Kojic church. My wife was raised Kojic, mm -hmm. okay? Um, I have been a part of non-denominational churches. And then I have a, a, a staff, a ministry staff consulting firm or coaching firm where I've served every denomination on the planet, including SBC and Assemblies of God and the whole nine yards. Oftentimes, what we count as doctrinal differences are simply the expression of how we live out our, our faith. And so historically, charismatics have been deemed as ignorant and uneducated, right? But that's not the case. I can ab absolutely be intellectually charismatic just because I decide to speak in tongues or quicken in, in our phrase, right? Or decide, like you say, I won't run off. That doesn't mean that I'm not educated, right? But, but that's, again, bad theology, bad paradigms that have been taught, right? We, we have to break that stuff down. We have, to, we have to totally deconstruct those theologies. If right now, if, if you go to Raymond James Stadium and football season was happening, and let's just say that our books were doing really, really well, okay? Sitting right, and I have a picture that I actually showed on one of our sermons that I was preaching at our church. Um, we talked about, we, we did a series on the, on the movie, The Hate You Give, right? So on one of the pictures that I had, I took a picture of the, the fans in the stadium at Raymond James. One fan was sitting right next to uh, one fan, so I'll say fan A. Fan A had on the paint, he was no shirt on, had the uh, football pads on with the spikes, right? Uh, body arm painted on, you know, I mean, he was like all in on the bucks, right? And he's standing up, he's cheering. You could tell the team must have either just, you know, got a touchdown or interception or something. There's another gentleman sitting next to him. The, the guy that was standing up was white. The guy that was sitting down was black. The guy that was sitting down that was black had on a bucks polo. His legs were crossed and he was doing this. So my question is, which one is more of a fan? Because they both had to save, pay the same amount. They were sitting right next to each other. They both had to pay the same amount to get in the stadium. They both probably had to pay for parking, right? If they pay for food, they're going to pay the same amount with, with regards to food. 
So I would argue the point that they both are the same, they're just different in their expression. What we have done is we have demonized what's different. And in demonizing what's different, we have put, because you said it earlier, uh, Jeff, in, in, in America, there, there is a foundation that has been laid where if it's white, it's right. Okay? That has to be deconstructed as well. And, I, and, and, that, and that's not at the expense of saying if it's white, it's wrong. It's simply to suggest that just because if it's not white doesn't mean that it's wrong. Does that make sense? And so what we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to pull back the layers and say some of it is not doctrinal differences. Some, some of it is not theological differences. Some of it is simply expressions that you may not be comfortable with. Rick, Rick, you said something, so, and this is what the Lord did with me, because before I was used to the hooping and all that. <laughs> but when I really stopped playing and got serious, somebody gave me a teaching with Charles Stanley. Right? You're not going to get any hoop? <laughs> At all. At all. Right? No <laughs> He's screaming. not going to raise his voice. Not going to raise his very, <laughs> right? But the man of God taught the Bible, teaches the Bible like, like a well-coursed meal. Well, what that, what that is is in the body of Christ, yes. again, we put levels to gifts. Yes. Right? yes. So if, if a gift has the platform and the microphone, mm -hmm. that gift is more important than the gifts that are behind the scenes. Yes, that, that, right? that's true. Yes. And so we're just now getting to the place in the body of Christ, black, white, or indifferent, mm -hmm. where every gift mm -hmm. of the body every. is important. Yes. Right? Yeah, we're just now getting to that place. Mm -hmm. And because of that, again, because of that, there are many people in the body of Christ, black or white, regardless of race, that historically have been suffocated mm -hmm. in their gifts. Mm -hmm because their gift wasn't appreciated in the full sense of the phrase. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was saying in, in, in how it changed my mindset, right? I start, once I started listening to him, I began to say, wait a minute here. This is powerful. And I can resist those. Then I be, so, so as the Holy Spirit was changing my appetite, so it was breaking me of that box of what I was used to. You see what I'm saying? So now I'm being exposed to, to, to other cultures and other teachings because the word of God is the word of God. Now I begin to have ears that can hear. Wow. Right? Because like I started out saying, are you listening to understand or waiting to respond? In our culture, a lot of times, is we, are we, we're, we're emotionally here. Yeah. We're, you know, we, we're screaming, we're shouting, but are you understanding what is said? Where is the application? We, we've shouted, we've screamed, we roll underneath the pews all Sunday, but Monday we're living like Right? So at some point, we need to bring the emotions down to be able to listen. Okay, God, what are you saying through the man and woman of God, not worried about the skin color, but you are speaking through the chosen vessel? How can I receive it? Then how can I apply what thus says the Lord? And as a result, we begin, to, like, like the other day, uh, we have new neighbors that moved across the street, right? The three guys, they're living together, and they, and they, and they are gay, right? And so... We were out there cutting the yard, and he had a, a, a edger, but it was manual, right? I had electric ones, right? <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said, go over here and, and, and trim his yard. And I had met him a couple of weeks ago, but I'm telling you, just for me to do something like that, it was a seed planted. Amen. Watch this. Now, I'm not, I didn't go quoting scriptures, but it was a seed that he did not expect. 
And I know the seed was planted, so ne next time we're outside, he's going to start a conversation where now I know God can be introduced through this conversation. And that only comes, again, through changes. One, one, one other quick thing. How, you asked me how did I change. I went to the Air Force. I got out of the city that I was raised in. And when I went to another country, I was exposed to other cultures. So I could appreciate other cultures. I had a professor that gave me this example. He said, Rodney, if you, if you, I'm trying to do it on live stream here. He said, if you use the restroom on this table and you just wipe the table off with paper, is the table clean? And I said, I said, well, no. You know, and he said, well, what you got to understand is other cultures, because there's other cultures who use the water spout, right? Everybody can bring something valuable to the table. You just got to have an open mind enough to be able to receive what they're saying. So just those combinations of things began to change me and my outlook, you know, in this walk. Even at our church, we have orphanages in India. Uh, uh, we have a, a uh, oh, we have a teenless home. We, we're doing kingdom work for what we're here to do, not just doing church in a building. Thank you, Pastor Rodney. This conversation could go on and go on, but I want to I want to end with this. Actually, where do we go from here? All right, we've prayed together. Many of us have protested together. Uh, we've had panel discussions. Yet, what are our next sustainable steps? I, I'm looking for tangible steps that we can now move forward in the body of Christ to now bring about some level of healing. Just for the sake of time, we have questions on the table, but I want to know what are your next steps? If I can start with you, Jeff. Well, I mean, I, I have questions for these guys. Like, hey, what, what are the next steps here, right? Because this is something that is important to me personally, but I believe it's important to the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ, you mentioned it earlier, we've lost our leverage in our culture. We've lost our leverage. Where we should be leading, we're letting other people lead, and then we get upset about it when they're leading, when we should be doing it in the first place. Um, I met with my, our senior pastor. It's a large church in Clearwater the other day, and, I, and, I, and, and he took, you know, we, we went out to lunch. And I said, we need to pray, first of all. Uh, which I think is a no-brainer, and if we're not doing it, then we're, we're missing the power source of, of the change that's going to happen. But I said, you need to preach about it, right? I mean, white evangelicals with large followings, online and otherwise, need to be preaching about this issue. He said, well, Jeff, I'm not going to be your woke pastor. I said, I'm not asking you to be the woke pastor. Be faithful to the, to the gospel, though, as it, as it, because to his point, we will get on the bandwagon about abortion, we'll get on the bandwagon about gay marriage, we'll do all these things, but what about the sin of racism? So I think just lead in that, but then tangibly and practically, there's things that we can do, right? We're having conversations, we can shut down those racial kind of undertones that we know are there. I think those things are that we can be doing, but if we're not, it's, it's a theme that we've said today, if we're not in relationship with one another, and I'll tell you, Pastor Keith, you and I need to meet more. We just need to find time, and if we're not intentional about doing that, um, then, then we're going to be on the wrong side of this. So we need to be in relationship uh, with our black brothers and sisters in Christ. And the truth is, like he was saying, I can go days without seeing a single person of color if I want to, especially quarantine. <laughs> actually, I can't because my son is black and my daughter's Chinese, so I, I can't do that. Uh, but, but you know what I'm saying. We have to be intentional about that. So, I mean, 
so I think some of those things happen naturally, but some of those things happen when you say, hey, let's get like-minded people together and say, we're going to meet. And for the next two years, we're going to meet once a month and we're going to talk about these issues and we're going to bring other people to the table. And this is how one way that we're going to do it. I don't think there's a right, wrong, or, you know, I don't, there's not a right or wrong. It's just, can we do one or two things? So, but I'm curious to hear what you guys say uh, about this as and well. And I'm a, just to your point, Jeff, I think me and you had this conversation. Relationship has to be intentional. Uh, it's one thing to say you're in a relationship with your, even with your wife, but to cultivate that relationship, there has to be some intentional steps. And I think you talked about making sure we're meeting periodically, and then making sure we're putting it on the calendar that we're going to meet. we got to be intentional about cultivating those relationships. And I'm going to say this because I want it to be on camera, so Pastor Chuck, if you turn me down, it's on camera. One of the things I was asking God, like how can we as a church begin to promote healing within the body of Christ? And one of the things that uh, he kind of laid on my spirit was having unity services with churches that don't look like us. Uh, I, and I know I, I, I don't watch you um, teach and stuff, and I said, I want to ask Pastor Chuck, can we do a unity service? So we'll talk about it. And, and try I'll to say, say already for our church, absolutely. Amen. Yeah. After we'll, all, we'll look at what it looks like. After the absolutely. pandemic is over, we can, we can set something up. So Pastor Rodney, yes, sir, what, what can we do? What are our next um, steps? How do we promote this in a tangible way? Right. Well, again, I think we've covered really everything I wrote down. First thing is we have to have authentic repentance individually. That's where it starts. Authentic repentance and then authentic forgiveness individually. Because I believe once that happens, then it puts us in the right posture in the sense of moving forward and being intentional about where we're to go. So I think it starts there. Uh, and then another point I put is, we, again, we got to revisit our relationship with Christ. I think so many times, not only just preachers, but believers, you read the word for a sermon and not for a lifestyle. When we see how Jesus experienced the woman at the well, one of the longest conversations in the New Testament was with a woman of a different culture, right? And we have to get away from pigeons and connect to eagles. What I mean by that is that we all have friends. If you have friends that are not where you are and not being intentional, I believe God is saying now is the time where the rubber is hitting the road. Either you're going to walk the way I've called you to walk or you're going to allow your relationship with them to keep you going, right? So that's accountability to look at the landscape of where we are, what are we doing, and then also I think the, the, the unity service, you know, uh, is good. And also, I believe, uh, as far as individually, how can we connect to not just church ministries, but things or programs that are doing the work of the kingdom that are being a blessing to those who can't do anything for you in return? There is such a joy in that. And so, again, it starts, I believe, individually, with us individually, looking at the landscape and doing those things. And I believe once that happens, it starts in our home, and then it goes to the neighborhood, and then to the churches, and it begins to just spread, spread, spread. Nothing we can do about the past. I love what Pastor Chris said, that, that you have to accept the reality of, yes, this happened, mm -hmm. right? It happens, and there's a lot of systemic stuff that are still here. But now we're at the point where we're coming to the table now to deal with it, you know, so we can move past so therefore all of us can grow and God can be glorified because that's the main goal for God to be glorified. Amen. And I love uh, what you said, Pastor Rodney, about it being personal. 
we've got to have a critical conversation with the Lord about what can I do next. And I believe he'll tug on our hearts just as he tugged on you to move and do an act of kindness for your neighbor. But it's a, it's a personal kind of question. Thank you, Pastor Rodney. Pastor Chuck. So as far as next steps, um, the mission statement of our church at Overflow Church is that we live to receive and release God's love to everyone, everywhere. And so as this started, one of the things that I shared with our church is I said a lot of churches will have a Sunday. They'll have a moment. They'll have a conversation. They'll recognize all this is going on and say, we need to address it. It becomes another themed Sunday. I said, we're not moving on. If we live to receive and release God's love to everyone, everywhere, then 14 million households within our country, and forget our borders. We just talked about patriotism, nationalism. Goodness, you could take this global, but you look right in the U.S., 14 million People are crying. There's fire in the streets. There's blood on the ground. We're not moving on. And so the first thing that we did as a, as a start um, was I said, listen, during this time, I want to be part of the conversation. But the last thing our church needs is a white guy who most of his experience has been one narrative in the world just giving his thoughts. So we opened up the pulpit that I brought through, um, through Zoom because part of this was still during full quarantine. But I brought many of those brothers and sisters that I got on the phone with and said, I just want to have a talk like this. It was the reason that at our church, when they heard those services are going on right now in Brandon, they said, no, you go be there in Tampa because it's, it's as long as it's going to take. Um, another thing that I'm watching happen right now, uh, Dr. Keenan Bridges has started a racial reconciliation panel of just diverse pastors. And so those conversations are starting to, to be had. I think the biggest thing I'm left with this morning, th though, Pastor Keith, to your question, is what Pastor Christopher said. That, that shook me, and I think it needs to be a headline for our churches, is that the minute that we all just sit and say, well, we don't know what to do, we already know on a, a whole bunch of other moral issues, when it's abortion, when it's traditional family values, right? We were made by a creator who made us creative. We don't lack any creative capacity. So I believe the conversation has to shift, that yes, we need to be slow, and we need to listen, and we need to be intentional, and we need a dialogue. And I know I can speak for, for Jeff and I, for, for guys who have not had much of the same experience where we've walked the, the, same, um, the same journey, but we haven't walked on the same street, right? We need to listen a lot, but we cannot allow that to become a shifting away. So often what we do to appease guilt is we'll send in some money, we'll take a short-term mission trip, we'll, right? What we desperately need in this hour is no longer a visitation ministry, but an incarnational ministry. We need to be in a place where, where we live John 17, and where else in the world are we going to go? When Jesus said it's finished, he's paid for everything. The whole law is literally to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I believe we need to really get to the place where we call the bluff, to, to Pastor Christopher's word, that we say, no, we can't just say we don't know what to do, because there's a million other issues that we found the answer. We've got to stay in this and not move on. And so I join with Jeff. I want as many conversations with you guys that that we can have. And I love that, Pastor Chuck, and I'll say this, and we'll end with Pastor Christopher. I, I spoke about this being a hurt issue, and I talked about the nature of this hurt, and I said the hurt is elongated. Um, it's been over an extended period of time, so the healing or the solution is also going to be elongated. This can't be an isolated act, and I think many, many times when we have instances of racism or racial injustice in our country, we'll hop on the issue for a moment, but then we'll step back into our pulpits and uh, Another theme for this month comes up, and it's not elongated, but we got to stay in the journey. So thank you so much for that, Pastor Chuck. Pastor Christopher. 
Yeah, um, and again, um, it's my, been my privilege to be on here with you guys, and uh, I've been gleaning and listening today as well. Um, and I, I think it, uh, <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, one of the first questions that people ask or have asked me um, as these race conversations have been, been coming up, and I was, uh, last night I was sort of just mentally preparing for this, and uh, so I, I wanted to do a, a total, right? And I'm, I'm only putting, saying this for context. So today is my 37th panel since uh, the beginning of April uh, around race or race conversations, right? So number one, the question, the question, what do we do always comes up, right? And I think in some ways, as a black person, I gotta acknowledge too, I don't have all the answers. You're asking me, I don't know, <laughs> right? But what I need is for you to say, if you don't know, we're gonna figure it out together, yeah. right? Uh, my wife and I have been together 20 years. There's been a whole lot of stuff that I've learned since I said yes. <laughs> Man, if I would have known some of the stuff now, I might have waited, <laughs> right? Because you could almost get paralyzed by all the details, which is why I think spiritually God doesn't always tell us everything. He just wants you to give him a yes first. So, I, so when you ask the question, I wrote down these four things without it being pre-prepared. Number one, acknowledge. And the, 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 the point there is, do we even acknowledge that there's a problem? Can we agree that there's a problem? Because if not, we, we, we start arguing our points and our platitudes and our political positions, and we're not even agreeing on the same thing first. So do we even agree that there's a problem? Number two, listen and learn, right? So that, that goes without saying. Um, I just did it while we were sitting up here. I had, I had posted this maybe a, a few weeks ago, but I put together a Google document that has like resources on it um, with like movies, books, podcasts, people you should follow on Twitter, um, def definitions of phrases and terms, links to other articles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I just put that, I, I repinned it to my Twitter account. So if anybody's watching online or anybody else that wants to get it, go to twitter.com slash cjharrisone. So it's cjharris1, but the one is spelled out. cjharrisone. So listen and learn. Thirdly, I think you have to be, and I think uh, Jeff spoke to this earlier, I think you have to be vulnerable and you have to be humble. You have to be. But that vulnerability and that humility should make you broken. You should be broken per personally. That's what he did when he went across the street and, and edged his neighbor's yard. He was broken by a need, right? But I think you also have to be broken professionally. This is not just, you know, to the point that I made earlier, racism has its degrees. This is not just individual racism. This is also systemic. Right, uh, a lot of the conversations have 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 gone to that 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 level of individualism, but you you can't stay there. You got to also address the systemic racism. This is systemic. This is historical. Uh, racism is in the fiber and the foundation of our nation. It's going to take it's going to take prayer, but it's going to take work. It's going to take somebody counting the costs to help unroot it. Okay, and then fourthly and finally, you got to commit to advocating your lane. Here's the truth of the matter too. We all can't do everything. You'll get burned out, you'll get exhausted, you'll get frustrated, but you can do for something. Do, do something, right? I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for all. 
right? Do for one what you wish you could do for all. So um, I, I'm not an attorney. I don't have a legal background. But I had a friend of mine, um, I was a part of uh, this, this business group here, business incubator here in Tampa of a bunch of business leaders. And um, this, this young lady who's an attorney, she's a well-established attorney here in town, she called me. And well, actually, she texted me. She said, first of all, I want to say to you, I'm sorry, because there's probably been some things I've said or done in our interactions that I realize now were probably wrong. Secondly, I want to say to you, I'm here with you. Whatever, whatever I need to do, let me know. Thirdly, she said, can you call me because I need to talk, right? So I, we set up a time, we talked, and she, she said, I'm so frustrated because I've been a part of these conversations now for the last couple of weeks in our firm, and I realized how blind I've been. And so she said, she said Christopher, I need your help. She said, and I, I, don't, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable in giving me the truth, but I need your help. She says, I'm an attorney. Quite candidly, she said, I already know I make six figures. I live in a well-established neighborhood, privilege. My kids have privilege, et cetera, et cetera, but I want to help. What can I do? And I said to her, I said, you have an advantage that not, other, not many other people have. You have a legal background. You have won millions of dollars in legal cases. You have argued before the Supreme Court. Don't you think that in your space you could lend your ear? Now here's the deal, really fast. She is a real estate attorney. So I said, what would it look like for you as a real estate attorney to begin to educate people on redlining in America from a legal perspective? You know what she said to me? She said, I just learned about redlining two months ago. Now this woman has a Harvard law degree and she just learned about redlining just a few months ago. You hear what I'm saying? So we got off of the call, she made the commitment to begin to advocate in her lane and in her space. My point is we've got to count the cost in our lane. We've got to count the cost within our sphere of influence and our platform. Uh, that for some people that may look like protesting, for some people that may, be, may look like writing, blogs, books, articles, for some people that may be calling meetings, for some people that may be challenging your system, your environment, where you are, challenging some of the policies that are in place where you are, for some people that may be calling a family meeting with your family members. Right? This is so personal and visceral and deep because part of what this is is challenging our family foundation. I don't care what culture you are, most people know you don't talk about somebody's mama. Right? You just don't. You don't talk about somebody's mama. But when the conversations of race and racism come up, in essence, we're talking about somebody's daddy and mama. And that's why it's so personal because we're forcing people now to acknowledge that maybe what my daddy or maybe what my mama taught me wasn't right. So those are the four things that I would say as a starting point. And uh, I think Christ calls us to do all four of those. Wow. Well, thank you, man, for so much. This conversation was rich. Uh, conversation was necessary. Um, and this conversation has to continue. Uh, Pastor Keith, I'm, I know you're trying to wrap. I'm, I'm so sorry. Can I say one thing? Yes, sir. Um, for those who are watching, who will see this later even, and I, I have to say this because I think it's important. If you are, are, are black and listening, 
just know that there are those of us in the white space who are hearing maybe for the first time. And you say, well, it's been 400 years. Why haven't you heard yet? The Bible says to suffer long. Yeah. Like that, that, it's patience. Yeah. And it's like, how can you tell us to be patient? We've been being patient for 400 years. Just please continue to be patient because there are people who are well-educated who, who want to see this issue, and they've never heard of redlining until recently. They've never heard of the Fair Housing Act and what it did. They've never heard about Jim Crow laws. They have not heard about these things, and for, they don't know who Emmett Till is. For every black person I've ever met, they know all these things. So just please continue to suffer long, but we're, we're getting there. We're and getting let, me, there. let me encourage them. Let me encourage these brothers here and others that are represented by them. First of all, thank you for, for your, your humility and your willingness to lean in. Because the, the truth of the matter is, too, what we have to, as black people have to acknowledge, there's a cost that they're paying, too. There, there is a huge cost. For this brother here to stand up in his church and make certain statements or whatever, that could impact their finances. They could have big givers that say, I don't want to talk about this, and the church shouldn't talk about this, and they leave. That's a cost that they could be paying, right? Neighbors and family and friends, and they're willing to count that cost. So we have to be empathetic to that. But I want to encourage you, you brothers to stay with it, man, right? Um, the, the Bible says, uh, don't get weary in well-doing, which is to suggest that when you are doing the right thing, there are seasons where you're going to get tired, bro. <laughs> you're going to get tired. But don't be weary in well-doing for in due season. And, and, and I'm just going to say prophetically, I believe we're in that space of due season right now. Amen. I, I believe that America is in that space socially, spiritually, politically, economically of due season. And that, that, that doesn't mean that everybody's getting ready to be walking around with millions of dollars in the bank and all of that. But I believe that, that God has allowed two pandemics at the same time, the pandemic of COVID-19 and the pandemic of pandemonium around race mm -hmm. to pull back the layers of our systems. Yes. And he has our, all of our undivided attention. I, and I believe that, that Pastor Christopher, that was a, I, I couldn't have said it even better, but I believe this is a season where God is still orchestrating and he's gonna manifest some stuff as a result of what's going on. And I appreciate you brothers and I really do. And I call you brothers um, and I mean that sentiment um, like none other. And I, I, I do appreciate the sacrifice even Pastor Chuck from you stepping away from your pulpit, um, your, all of your responsibilities as executive pastors. I appreciate you um, truly. And Jeff, just even your wisdom and you stepping away from your church home to be with us this morning. So thank you. What I wanna share with my audience you got to rewatch this. You got to share it. There's so much richness in this conversation um, to unpack in, a, in 90 minutes. It's, we can't do it. We got to take notes. We got to rewatch it because these men said so much. And I believe, like I stated um, this in the beginning, that these are men of, men of good reputation, men that are, that are full of the spirit and men that are full of wisdom. So thank you. But here's what I want to do, Pastor Rodney, if you can benedict us. I love your spirit. I love your heart for God. This conversation and this healing isn't going to take place till we have a spirit like that. And I believe you men have it, but I believe you got the grace on you, Pastor Rodney, to benedict us and pray for those that are watching. Amen. As we're about to pray, uh, the Holy Spirit led me to this particular scripture, Psalms 1. 
you know, uh, the body of Christ, when we think, when we talk about blessings, you know, so many are relegated to the materialistic things. But Psalms 1 declares, blessed that is fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked that's following their advice and example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, that is his precepts and teachings, he habitually meditates day and night. And as a result of that, my God, he will be like a tree firmly planted and fed by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And the leaf, my God, the leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers, that is, comes to maturity. And so, Father God, we just thank you for your word, O oh Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, most of all, for your love, O oh Father God. We thank you for your presence that's rest, root, and abide in this atmosphere. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that even runs through the streaming live streams right now, Father God. And so we thank you, O oh Lord, as your word declares, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new, Father God. And so we're standing forward, Father God, expecting a new move of God, O oh Lord. We thank you, Father God, that the layers of hurt, the layers of pain, Father God, the weights and burdens are even being removed right now throughout the whole body of Christ, Father God. We declare in the creed, Father God, that you are the total source of our strength. You are our very breath of life, oh Father God, and understanding that we can't and don't want to do anything without you, Father God. So have your way in our lives, oh Father God. We submit, we say yes to your will and yes to your way, oh Lord. We declare in the creed right now, Father God, that each and every person that's even watching this live stream right now, we thank you for mind renewal in in the name of Jesus, Father God, we thank you, Father God, that we declare we will put both hands on the plow and we will press towards the mark of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus, Father God. We thank you that you call us to be one body and one spirit, oh Lord. And so we thank you, yes, Father God, there are there is residue of racism, Father God, but we thank you that even though residue is being removed right now, we thank you that hurt is being healed, Father God. We thank you that deliverance is coming forward, Father God. We thank you, oh Lord, in the name of Jesus for each and every man that's on this panel right now. We pray a special blessing upon them, their home, and their family right now. We declare no weapon formed against them shall prosper. We thank you for the angel of this house, O oh Lord. We thank you for the man of God, O oh Father God, that's committed himself unto your will, Father God. We thank you that all of his needs are met according to your riches and glory. We pray for his family right now. We plead the blood of Jesus over his wife and his children, Father God. We thank you, Father God. Hey, man, we thank you right now, Father God, for he is a tree planted, Father God, by the rivers of living water. We thank you that there's a complete shifting in the way of Tampa Bay. We thank you, Father God, that all cultures, Father God, are coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west, Father God. Coming, oh, Father God, because they know and they feel the presence of God, oh, Lord. We lift up each and every man of God's church home right now in the name of Jesus. We pray for their partners, Father God. We thank you that even in this change, Father God, uh, dysfunctional mind mindsets, Father God, will be removed, Father God, and replaced, oh, Father God, with a loving mindset, oh, Lord. So we thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do in the name of Jesus, Father God. And we declare that we are victorious, Father God. So we thank you once again for your love, your grace, and mercy. We seal this prayer by the blood and by the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, to our viewing audience, thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you next Sunday. I love y'all and I miss y'all.
I'm confident that you didn't stumble upon this podcast by accident because God is sovereign. And whenever our sovereign God sends us a message for a reason, he wants us to respond. My prayer is that you respond by allowing the word to be planted in you so that it produces God's will for your life. Until next time, strive to not simply come to church, but to become the church.